0: Hello from ABA Annual 2016 in San Francisco, California. I'm Lawrence Coletti.
1: Hi, I'm Kate Bally.
0: I'm Matthew Schiff. I'm Michael Lutito.
1: I'm Sierra Spitzer.
0: And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. Thank you so much for joining me, everybody. So I'm really excited to talk about what we're about to uh, talk about is your, your session's topic. It was called, and I love the title. I don't know who came up with this. Uh, somebody take credit for it. But it's called Minefield in the Modern Employee Handbook. So who came up with that?
1: I did, actually.
0: You got my attention with uh, Minefield. <laughs> so uh, I guess, uh, well, you're the moderator, Sierra. So why don't you give us the 50,000 foot as to what your uh, session topic was all about?
1: Well, the, the reason I chose that title is because... It really is sort of, there are a lot of hidden issues in employee handbooks that people don't think about, and that includes even lawyers don't even think about. So we wanted to do an overview of not only the kind of hot new topics that are, you know, newly developing and that people should be aware of, but also give an overview of just basic issues that you should be on the lookout for at all times when it comes to handbooks. Greatly because... Is usually one of the first exhibits in a deposition when you have an employment case. And so you want to make sure you have your ducks in a row. And that's also why we made a focus on addressing law firms and their employee handbooks, because, you know, we're not immune to that either. And it seems that we're some of the worst offenders.
0: So what you're telling me is close doesn't count in, um, in horseshoes and handbooks? Absolutely this is true. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it. So, now I understand that Kate, you opened up the uh, the session. So, uh, what what were some of the topics that you were dealing with?
2: Yeah, so I opened this up to talk about um, five main issues: um, LGBT issues, a real hot topic about whether or not. Title VII is sort of moving towards recognition of coverage of LGBT individuals in a protected class. Um, Also, accommodation on a couple of different grounds. Accommodation for disability, pregnancy, religion, all real hot topics right now. Wage and hour, as you may know, the Department of Labor issued just in May of 2016, this year, uh, new rules, and those go into effect December 1st. It's going to change things up in a significant way. Uh, also, confidentiality issues related to what's called the DTSA, Defend Trade Secrets Act, another development from just this year. And finally, last but not least, crazy state issues, all kinds of nutty stuff going on at the state level.
0: So state-specific. That's right. Okay, well, you know, that's a lot of territory to cover, but let's start with the uh,
2: the LGBT. Yeah, so um, there are—Title VII right this minute does not recognize uh, LGBT individuals as a protected class, but um, the EEOC certainly does, and there's cases uh, the EEOC has decided— uh, on that basis, uh, there's a lot of things going on at the sort of school level, Title IX issue. The Supreme Court has just stayed that uh, Fourth Circuit decision. It looks like they're going to take that up in the fall. So often uh, interpretations of Title VII do look to Title IX. So that's one f- even for employers to be on the lookout for. So Those bathroom access questions for transgender individuals. And then thinking about accommodation, disability, uh, one of the hot topics there is that uh, medical marijuana use. Always uh, sort of a fun, fun topic. Interesting. Um, I believe it's 28 states right now recognize uh, medical marijuana and four uh, on recreational. And uh, those numbers are are regularly changing, so one to watch there. Um, The Coates decision out of Colorado, though, does sort of help employers defend their own policies with respect to uh, medical marijuana. So also important to know that. Accommodation also um, on the issue of pregnancy, Young versus UPS, another recent Supreme Court decision for employers to make sure they get a good grip on in their policy work. Uh, And finally, religion. Uh, The Abercrombie case made sure that we're all keeping in mind that we need to be accommodating of dress code when we're thinking about our accommodation policy for religion. Make sure you're allowing those people to express their religious preferences. So that's kind of accommodation.
0: Okay. Well, you know, I want to kind of head on into the the transgender and the restroom issue at Workplace because I think that this is something that might be new to a lot of employers. And I do think it's a very important topic to discuss as the workforce, uh, you know, begins to welcome, uh, obviously more openly transgender people uh, into the lifestyle that they're developing into. And so what does an employer need to do to be sensitive to the needs of our transgender brothers and sisters?
2: Yeah, no, it's a really good question. And I think what we should really be doing right now as employers is keeping an eye on that Supreme Court decision that's going to probably be um, up next, if you will. In the interim, I think just being sensitive to your workplace, uh, making sure you understand state and local requirements. And I think if you can accommodate that transgender individual, um, you should and you save yourself a lot of potential liability if you're able to really allow that person to access the bathroom facilities that are going to make them most comfortable.
0: Okay, well let's bring Matt into the conversation. He's sitting over there quiet, uh, suspiciously so. So uh, Matt, what were some of the topics that you talked about?
3: My topic was the shoemaker's children have no shoes. Law firms don't have employee handbooks, or if they have them, they're not very good. Why not? Why don't lawyers, I mean, they, they sue people for this.
0: Why don't we have them in our firms and in
3: practices? I think lawyers take care of their clients first, and they take care of internal administrative tasks second. The tendency is to take a handbook from whatever firm you came from before and just change the names on it. And that may have been a much larger firm, may have had different specialties, may have had different classifications of employees, and it's a penny-wise and pound-foolish thing to do. Uh, It makes sense to have a handbook that helps you. You don't have to be adding any additional promises. You should have a disclaimer up front that says this isn't a contract. It's information. But it does help me defend my law firm clients in unemployment cases, in workers' comp cases, discrimination, everything across the board. The first thing you look for is don't be making effusive promises of the type a large firm would make if you're only five lawyers. It doesn't make sense. Okay. Any other topics? Well, within the law firm context, you have uh, a lot of wage and hour issues. Uh, many law firms don't pay their paralegals overtime. Why? Because they say, you know, this is somebody who's doing, you know, exempt work. We pay a salary. You can't really defend that. To be exempt, the person has to meet the duties test, which is independent exercise of judgment. If you go down that slippery slope, you're really condoning the unauthorized practice of law. Everything should be done by a lawyer, all of those judgments. So uh, my advice is always that you treat your paralegals as being non-exempt unless it's somebody who is a supervisor of
0: paralegals and exercises discretion over all the others.
3: Uh, otherwise, uh, you really are asking for trouble.
0: Okay. So uh, I'm hearing paralegals, I'm hearing lawyers, I'm hearing practice of law. When it comes to overtime, I know that there are certain... I don't know if they're bright standard uh, rules, but it changes from business to business. And I would imagine it might be a similar difficulty in law firms. So when it comes to uh, distinguishing between your hourly employees going into overtime or not, what are some of the things that you're looking for?
3: Well, really, I try to stay away from hourly and salary because those confuse people, even confuses lawyers. It's right. either exempt or non-exempt. and the. Default is everybody is non-exempt and gets paid time and a half for every hour worked over 40. That doesn't include paid time off, holidays, paid lunches, things of that sort. But it needs to be tracked. If someone's going to be exempt, they have to fall into a specific exemption. And that would be most commonly in a law firm, executive, administrative. Some law firms may have outside sales. I mean,
0: depending, again, on whether it's a consumer... Well, let's hit that again. So your typical law firm, you know, you've got lawyers, you have some paralegals, you have some administrative staff. Who are the people that you can exempt out of overtime rules? And, you know, when you're running long hours and you got to stay up pretty late at night, getting cases done, what positions are those typically?
3: Well, clearly lawyers. Lawyers are professionals by definition, do not need to be paid overtime. Okay. You can go into other people. Uh, I worked for a law firm that had a professional engineer on salary, He reviewed all of the cases before the lawyers started working on it and would identify technical issues and who would be a good expert for it. No problem having him exempt. Another firm had a very talented nurse who reviewed medical records, and she was exempt. But those are the exceptions, not the rule. It, It isn't a wise thing to take that risk because the employee then has control going back three years and saying, I worked 60 hours a week every week, and they never paid me for it.
4: I think that the law firm has to be particularly sensitive as the new salary test goes into effect on uh, on December one at forty-seven thousand and change. This could impact certain individuals within the firm. Um, so you might have somebody who's the head of the accounting group, or you know, someone who is responsible for business services. Those sorts of individuals, uh, you have to take a pretty close look. You know, depending upon your geographic area, you may or may not be within those particular numbers. Another area that I've seen, Matt, I don't know about you, is you know the secretary or the legal assistant uh, to the managing partner type of individual. Um, you know, who's working very, very long hours. Someone with very, a lot of very long been around hours. a long time. Yes, and they have some discretion. You know, they're making judgments about, you know, which flight you get and, you know, which meeting you're going to go to. Uh, and they tend to be, more often than not, in my experience, treated as if they're exempt, when in reality they may very well be non-exempt.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: So essentially you have to meet a salary test and a duties test. It's not just one or the other. And
0: if you're going to say the duties are exempt duties, document them. Okay. I want to bring Michael into the conversation here. So he uh, got to chime in a little bit on the last yeah. question, but what were some of the issues that you talked about?
4: Well, my issue was uh, a handbook minefields under the National Labor Relations Act. And I find that uh, the vast majority of, of employers uh, don't think that the National Labor Relations Act applies to them at all because they think it only applies in the unionized environment. But or with respect to handbooks, it's really the non union employer, which is the overwhelming majority of people out there, that there's application. I also find that a lot of lawyers are not sensitive to these unique issues, where it's more the employment lawyer that's taking a look at the handbook as opposed to the labor lawyer. And people need to understand that NLRB in Latin means employer loses. Um, and NLRB is just finding all kinds of handbook rules to be, quote unquote, overbroad, or objectionable. Um, And this has tremendous implications, because not only is the handbook unlawful, if you have to report that under the pending blacklisting rule, it could impact your ability to maintain federal government contracts. If you fire an individual or discipline an individual because they violated an overbroad rule, that can be an issue giving the employee various rights. Um, It can also be an issue in union organizing campaigns in order to try to paint the employer as a labor law violator. So there's very, very significant implications here.
0: I have an observation that I want to uh, frame up my next question with. So our workplace is changing, I think, for the better. We were becoming more inclusive and diverse in our working environment. We have more mothers than before at work and staying at work even after they have kids. And we have transgenders uh, openly joining us as they are in the workplace. And so we're becoming more open. It seems like, and this is just an observation, a question for everybody on the panel, it seems like in the last five years, these handbooks have changed or should have changed more so than maybe 20 years prior to that because of the developments in our social norms and in expectations in society. So, just kind of wanted to leave that open and have you guys comment.
4: Well, I'll just jump quick and then my colleagues listen. I'm interested in what they have to say. I think the law is not a leading indicator, I think it's a laggard. Okay. Uh, and I, I think what happens is that. There are things that change, such as the trends that you've just discussed, and the law doesn't necessarily keep up with those changes. And if you've got a handbook that you borrowed from somebody else that hasn't been reviewed five years ago, and guaranteed that handbook has all kinds of provisions that are highly problematic. And so I think you need to look at it and start saying... And you know, Maybe we should take this a lot more seriously as an employer, whether the employer is a law firm or whether it's any other type of an organization, uh, because this is in a very real way, the way you're defining yourself, and you want to make sure that you get your best foot forward, um, and part of that should be that your best foot is also a legal foot.
3: Okay. For law firms, it can be especially complicated because many have offices in multiple states multiple cities, each of which have different protected classes and have different numbers of employees before entitlements kick in. So it's not necessarily a simple thing and it may not be something that can be updated on a regular enough basis. So you may have to be a little on the vague side. But certain things can be very helpful to identify that, you know, you are an equal opportunity employer, that you don't discriminate, you don't retaliate, you provide all entitlements to anybody in a protected class. You put those kind of things forward. But then you have to think when you drill down, what about family medical leave? The law requires that you give leave only if the location has 50 or more employees within 75 miles. Many times branch offices of law firms don't. Is it a bigger morale problem to say that the two-lawyer office in Connecticut doesn't get family leave, but the main office in Manhattan does? These are the kinds of issues I deal with a lot with
2: my clients. How about you, Kate? Yeah, so I thought Michael's point was so interesting about um, kind of where we are with with some of these issues you've brought up. And uh, I think it's such a balancing act to make sure that you are leading with that compliance idea, but you're also making people feel welcome in your handbook because your handbook really serves a couple of purposes. Um, It needs to comply with the law. And in doing so, that's the lagging part that you referred to, Michael, um, where we're really sort of looking reactionary, going, oh, the law requires this. Okay, let's get in there and change it. But also you should think of your handbook as setting the tone, setting your corporate identity. What kind of place do you want to be? What kind of environment do you want to create so even if transgender is not specifically recognized um, you know, as a protected class right now under title seven and you're not otherwise in a state maybe you need to be more progressive and and welcoming and make sure that your workplace is the place that you want it to be and so not just strictly adhering to the law but culture creation
0: and sierra would you like to leave us with some words
1: i second everything that's been said about the importance of of a handbook that is up to date and that is in accordance with the law, but it's also setting a tone. And it kind of goes back to our whole idea of of why we thought this was an important topic to cover is because people have a tendency to throw these together, as we've kind of discussed, without thinking about the implications that could come with doing that. So, yeah, it's important to keep talking with your labor and employment attorneys and consulting on that um, because it can be an overwhelming thing for employers to deal with, to try and create a good handbook and not set themselves up for a lawsuit. So I think keeping it up to date and open dialogue on the issues is important.
0: Okay. Last question. So if our listeners, they're out there, want to follow up with you, how can they reach you? Kate?
1: Yeah. So I'm a
2: director of the Labor and Employment Service of Practical Law, and you can reach me at Kate, K-A-T-E dot Bally, B-A-L-L-Y at T-R, as in Reuters.com.
0: Matthew?
3: I'm a labor and employment partner at Sugar, Felsenthal, Grace, and Hammer. And I can be reached at M. S-C-H-I-F-F, at sugar, S-U-G-A-R-F-G-H.com.
4: Michael. I'm a shareholder at Littler uh, and co-chair of our Workplace Policy Institute. You can get me at mlotito, L-O-T-I-T-O, at Littler, L-I-T-T-L-E-R.com. And Sierra.
1: I am a partner at the law firm of Schwartz Mergen in San Diego and can be reached at Sierra, S-I-E-R-R-A, at com. Does anybody
0: have location envy for Sierra right now?
2: Absolutely.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much, you all, for joining us. I think it's a very informative discussion. And also, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And if you like what you've heard today, you know, please follow us and rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. All right, guys. Great job. That was fun. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Really good stuff. Like if you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit legaltalknetwork.com.